Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. When Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, he's talking about all that the natural world has to offer. So when he says, whoever drinks this water, we can understand him to be saying, whoever partakes of whatever the world has to offer in a quest for fulfillment will never be fulfilled. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his series, Jesus Encounters. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, as he examines an encounter between Jesus and the thirsty soul. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We have come to this story today in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel. It's the story, of course, of the the woman at the well. And there are many different things that we could draw out and apply from this story. But today, I want to look at it from the standpoint of the woman being representative of the thirsty soul. Now, as we go through the series that we've just entered into on Jesus encounters, what we're doing is we're looking at the different people in the scripture that that Jesus had these personal encounters with that resulted in life transformation. And and the person sort of uh, embodies uh, an idea. So remember last time in our uh, initial teaching, we looked at Nicodemus and he he was sort of the embodiment of of the religious person. And so here, as we come to looking at this woman, she is more or less the embodiment uh, of the thirsty soul. She's a woman who nothing in the world has been able to satisfy her. And so she becomes kind of just in her own life experience, she she kind of becomes a, a picture of all of humanity, really, because that is... That, that really is the case with all people. The story of this woman, it illustrates the universal reality that Augustine described when he said, you, speaking of God, have created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in you. That's, that's the truth. That's the universal reality. If we're honest, that, that's the way it is. There's, there's a restlessness in all of us. And that restlessness, of course, Augustine understood this for, both from scripture and experience. The restlessness was due to the fact that we were created by God and for him. Now, as I said, he understood that to be true from scripture. The, the scripture teaches this. The Bible teaches this in a variety of different uh, ways and places. There are verses in the Bible that just more or less kind of just say it very straightforwardly. Let me give you a few examples. Uh, Solomon in the Proverbs, this would be Proverbs twenty-seven, twenty. he said, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. In writing Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed, all is vanity or emptiness and grasping for the wind. 
The Apostle Paul in Romans 8.20, he said that the creation itself was subjected to futility or the, or the sense of, as, as we're talking about here, just the, this a sense of, of never being fulfilled. That's the idea. Now, of, of course, you know, Solomon is an interesting case study if you want to look at somebody who made these statements based on uh, his own experience. Solomon was a guy who was the, the wealthiest man in his generation, the wisest man maybe in the world ever. And, and yet, you know, he, he gains great wealth and fame and power and all of those things. And at the end, he says many times over that it's all like grasping the wind. As I said, Augustine would have made that statement about our hearts being restless until we find our rest in God. He made that, as I said, based upon scripture, but his own experience. Augustine was one of the great theologians in the history of the church. He was a philosopher. Even to this day, he goes down as one of the brilliant people in human history. Uh, before he was a Christian, he was, uh, he was a philosopher who was fairly well-known. And so by his own experience, he could testify to this truth, that the knowledge that he attained, that the privileges that he gained, that the experience that he, that he engaged in, all of it in the end left him with a sense of emptiness. And it's not only true of you know, what we find in scripture or in the ancient world, we see this very truth being unwittingly expressed by men and women today. I can think of any one of a number of famous people who have expressed these kinds of things. You know, the person who's at the top of their game in sports, maybe, or uh, the person who's got the you know, the number one hit song or, or the person who's just, you know, they're, they're the, the newest thing in the world of Hollywood or, or whatever the case. We find oftentimes they say things that betray the fact that even though you would think that all of these things would certainly bring fulfillment and contentment in life, they say things that indicate that that is not the case. And even though it is unrecognized by these people and many others, it is in reality a thirst for God. It is in reality that thing that Augustine said, that we were created by God and for God. And until we come to him and find rest in him, there's a restlessness in us. And, and this is what we see in the story here. So that's the the way I want to uh, look at the story. And I want to show you how this whole idea works itself out in the life of this woman and how Jesus responds to this thirsty soul. So the first thing is there just a couple of things I want us to note before we actually look at the woman herself and some of the things that she said and then uh, the response of Jesus to her. So the first thing I want you to notice is in verse three, speaking of Jesus, it says he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, this is an interesting thing that John is telling us here. 
Now, if you understand the geography of Israel, Judah is in the south and Galilee is in the north and Samaria is in between. But it wasn't only not necessary to go through Samaria. It was preferred by Jews not to go through Samaria. So it wasn't a geographical necessity for Jesus to go through Samaria. He could have gone west along the coast up the Via Maris and come to Galilee that way and avoided going through Samaria. He could have gone east, crossed the Jordan River, gone up through Perea, which is normally the way the Jews would go. They didn't want to go through Samaria. It wasn't a place that they cared to pass through because there was a racial tension between the Samaritans and the Jews. But it says that Jesus needed to go through. Why did he need to go through then? He needed to go through there because he knew there was a person. There was an appointment that he had to keep. There was a woman that was going to meet him at a well. She has no idea, but Jesus knows this. And he's going to be there to speak into the deepest longings of her heart. And the thing that I want you to see in this is that God is seeking people out. You know, so many times we, we kind of put the emphasis on the wrong side of things, even in our own experience. Maybe those of us who have, you know, come to know the Lord, we've come to trust in him. It, when we're recounting our experience, we're talking about how you know, well, I felt this way and then I did this and then I was on a search for that and then I went here and, and then I finally found Jesus. And that's true from our point of view, but guess what? We were on that journey in the first place because Jesus was looking to find us. He needed to go through Samaria so he might have this encounter with this woman. Now, as you see his encounter with this woman, another thing to note is that in his conversation with her alone, he is crossing cultural barriers just to have the conversation. Now, if we read just a little bit further into the story, in verse 27, we read this, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Now, why did they marvel that he was talking with a woman? Because culturally that was unacceptable. You didn't do that in that culture. You see, among the Jews, Jewish men did not talk to women publicly unless they were married to them. And especially a religious leader, especially somebody that was recognized like Jesus was as a, a spiritual leader, uh, a rabbi. The rabbinical writing has all kinds of instruction and prohibitions about having contact with women in public. So Jesus is crossing this cultural barrier that he doesn't, he's not concerned with that. There's something more important here that needs to be addressed. So that's Another thing, thirdly, Jesus crosses a racial barrier by engaging with a Samaritan woman because the text tells us when Jesus speaks to her and asks her for a drink, her response is, why are you a Jew asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? And then John tells us, for Jews and Samaritans have no dealings with one another. So there's this 
animosity that exists between these two people groups. And yet Jesus, again, he doesn't let any of that prevent him from reaching out. He crosses over that racial barrier. And and just to say this before we move on, these are the kinds of things that we need to learn from as we think about our efforts to reach out to people. And we're looking to Jesus as our model because sometimes we can be discouraged because of cultural kinds of barriers. And, you know, there are people today that would even, in the church, well-intended, but I think misguided, who would say, no, 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 you can't, you know, you, you don't want to go over there and, and, you know, reach those people because after all, and there's some sort of cultural reason why you don't do that. And in some cases, sadly to say, there, there are even sometimes racial issues. I mean, of course, there's a whole, you know, part of our country where they, they still have uh, segregated churches where, you know, if you're this color, you go to this church. If you're that color, you go to that church. And, you know, you don't really cross over there. And so these kinds of things is, have always existed. But Jesus is our model in breaking down and crossing over these kinds of barriers. So these are just uh, a few things that I think were important to note before we jump into looking at the, the woman herself. So as we go on in the story, we come to the woman and it tells us, concerning her that she came to, to Jacob's well to draw water. And it says that, that it was about the sixth hour that this happened. Now, the reason this is significant is because normally speaking, the ladies would come to draw the water early in the morning. And of course, you could understand why they would do that because they would need the water for all of the activity of the day. Uh, Also, it would be cooler earlier in the morning, but it was also a time undoubtedly of socializing for the women who would come to the well. So they would all come at basically the same time in the morning. But this woman comes, she comes alone and she comes in the middle of the day. Why? Because she was also a social outcast. She was a woman that wasn't welcomed in the circle of the more respectable ladies in the city. Now, let me just say this. The Samaritans, although they were not Jews in the, in the most proper sense, they were, in, they were in a sense Jews. They, their, their history was a, a combination. Back when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, there were many Jews that remained in the land and the, the Assyrians uh, repopulated the land with people from other nations that they sent in. And these, these groups intermarried with one another and they embraced a sort of a perverted form of the Mosaic religious system. So even though they weren't Jews in the real accurate sense of following directly with um, the, the law of Moses and so forth, they, they, they were very religious themselves. They had a high moral standard and those kinds of things. So this woman would have been seen by the women in the community as immoral and as someone that should be avoided. And yet we see that Jesus reaches out again. So he crosses cultural barriers. He crosses racial barriers. He crosses social barriers. 
And how do we know all of this about the woman? Well, the text tells us that she was a woman who was married five times and was currently living with a man that she wasn't married to. So even though that's kind of you know, normal for our culture today, it's becoming more and more normal. Uh, back in the time and in that place, that wasn't the case. Now, among the Romans, that would have been maybe acceptable, but not among the Jews and not among the Samaritans. So she was a woman who was an outcast. She was a woman who I think we can say without conjecture, I think we can legitimately see her as a, a woman who has issues of sexual immorality and uh, adultery. But there's one other thing about her that I find very interesting. She is also a woman who has spiritual longings. And we see that in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming and he will teach us. He will tell us all things. So she has spiritual longings, even though she's messed up, obviously. But yet she's got these spiritual longings. She's got this sense that somehow, some way, sometime, there's going to be some deliverance that's going to come. She's, she's a broken person, broken in the sense that her life does not work the way it's supposed to work. And yet she has this, this sort of like it's a distant hope that somebody's going to come along, Messiah's going to come, and he's going to make everything better. He's going to tell us everything we need to know. He's going to fix it all. So we see that she has these spiritual longings. So she's a social outcast. She's sexually immoral, but she's got these deep spiritual longings. Now, Jesus, in his encounter with her, I want you to notice the first thing he says to her. Verse 7 a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is because this is Jesus's way of engaging her in the real issues deep down in her life. Now, he takes the, you know, just kind of the natural surroundings of where they are, and he's going to begin to engage her. And everything that Jesus is saying is he's speaking from a spiritual point of view, but she's initially only understanding everything from a natural point of view. But I think it's fascinating that the very first thing that he says to her is, give me a drink. The first thing that he, he wants to bring up is the issue of thirst. Now, Jesus could have, of course, gotten himself a drink of water know that. Jesus didn't need this woman to get him a drink. He could have done that himself. But he, but he intentionally engages her on this level because he's going to ultimately bring her to the place of recognizing that the reason her life is the way it is is because of this deep, deep thirst. And of course, he's going to reveal to her that he is the, the answer to that thirst. But he says to her, give me a drink. And then, of course, she brings up the, well, why are you asking me for a drink? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman and so forth. And then Jesus responds and he says this. He says, if you knew the gift of God, 
If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I mean, it's, it's amazing the way Jesus just goes with this conversation. Just He just gets right to the issue. He said, if you knew the gift of God. Now, you've got to imagine on the one hand, she's probably like, wow, this is a weird conversation. First of all, this Jewish guy's talking to me. That's weird enough right there. But now he's talking about the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God. And, and then he says, and if you knew who I was, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. And so you, you've got to imagine that on the one hand, she's probably like perplexed. Like, wow, what, what kind of a conversation is this? But she's obviously intrigued by the conversation. She responds and she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Now, living water, if you go to Israel today, um, they will, they'll talk about living water. Living water it could mean, and from a natural standpoint, it meant fresh water, water that was flowing, water that was coming up from its source. That's living water. Jesus is talking about it in a different sense. He's talking about it from, as I said, the spiritual standpoint. But her question is, where are you going to get this? And then she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and so forth? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I will give will become a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So now Jesus is taking these, the natural surroundings, as I said, the well, the water there, but like I'm saying, he's speaking spiritually. And he says this, and this is important for us to recognize. He says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. And of course, we know that if, you know, one glass of water is not going to quench your thirst forever, right? It's the common experience that you're, you, you, you know, water will quench your thirst briefly, but then you're going to have to come back for more. Well, when Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, he's not just talking about water in the natural sense. He's talking about all that the natural world has to offer. So when he says, whoever drinks this water, we can understand him to be saying, whoever partakes of whatever the world has to offer in a quest for fulfillment will never be fulfilled. That's what he's saying. So the things that we were talking about initially, the expression of these various people about the ongoing futility of life, the emptiness and so forth, they are, as I said earlier, they're unwittingly just telling us what Jesus told us right here in the passage. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. You see, the truth is there is a God-shaped void in every person's heart, and it cannot be filled by anything this world has to offer. And this is why... We go running from thing to thing, always, in search of that one thing that is going to finally bring us that contentment, that fulfillment, that satisfaction, that sense of purpose and completion, but, but we never get there, and nobody does. 
Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. Jesus has become a stranger to today's culture. Many do not know who he truly is, and many have never even heard of him. Our culture wonders, was Jesus even a real historical person? And why does it even matter if Jesus lived at all? And if he did, what does that mean for you and me personally? These are just some of the questions that Rebecca McLaughlin tackles in her new book, Confronting Jesus. In this book, you'll learn who Jesus is and what that means for you. If you want to know more about Jesus and why knowing who he is is the most important question in life you'll ever have to answer, or if you know someone who needs to know who Jesus is, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. To order Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we continue our series, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.